Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Wynn Whitman, welcome back to Entree Architect Podcast. Hello, Mark. It's great to be here. Uh, it's great to have you back. This is going to be fun. Um, let me just remind people who you are before we jump into a great conversation here. You and I were just talking off, off the air, and uh, I'm excited about this one. Uh, Wynn Whitman is the founding principal of Wynn Whitman Architecture based in Austin, Texas, known for their high-end modern residences. His work has been featured in such publications as Architectural Record, Architectural Digest, The Rob Report, uh, Lux, as well as Discovery Network and HGTV. He has a BA from Tufts University in Fine Arts and a Master's of Architecture from the University of Texas in Austin, um, where he studied with AIA Gold Medal winner Charles Moore, one of my favorites. Uh, Wynn was, uh, has received awards from AIA Austin, World Architecture News, Best Green Innovation from Green Building and Design. Uh, Spaces Magazine called him America's Most Rock and Roll Architect. I love that title. Uh, his clients include Grammy Award-winning musicians and NFL players, billionaires. He's doing those dream homes. Uh, he's got homes that have been sets for Hollywood movies. Uh, so he's done it all. He's done it all. He's done some fantastic work, beautiful work. You can check it at winwhitman.com. Um, Win, it's great to have you back on the show. Great to be here, Mark. You know, uh, this conversation started because some of the people on Entree Architect, which I love, were asking, how did you get an NFL player as a client? And uh, and I said, well, Mark, if you want to have me on the show, I'll, I'd love to walk everyone through it and look at what that process looks like. Yeah, I love that idea of taking it, sort of breaking it down, talk about your story, how it how you ended up where you are today. Um, last time you were here was episode 208. We talked about how to build a million dollar firm using a uh, remote team. So if anybody wants to learn about building a remote team and how to do it at a very high level, go back to che check out episode 208. Um, today, I, I want to focus on exactly what you just talked about. I want to know your secrets. 
<laughs> I want you to share how you're attracting and signing these projects, working with famous musicians and top NFL athletes. Um, let's let's get started. Why don't you sort of jump back to the beginning of where you yeah. started this thing and sort of break it down to where you are now working with these big, big clients. So it's interesting. I started out, I was, as a kid, I was very passionate about building things. I spent my entire adolescence in a basement, you know, cutting my fingers off with uh, chop saws. <laughs> and uh, my parents were fortunately uh, not helicopter parents. I came before that era, but um and then I didn't really know what I wanted to do, uh, but I knew I loved the arts. I loved creativity. I loved beauty. And when I was an undergraduate at Tufts, I had a really inspiring art history teacher who just opened my eyes to the world of architecture. And uh, as I was graduating, uh, you know, I dabbled around in everything from political science. I studied human factors engineering with J.G. Kreifelt, who is the inventor of the reach toothbrush. <laughs> um, I, uh, I worked for a political campaign, a senatorial campaign when I got out of uh, college. And then my art history professor said to me, why don't you get an architecture degree? And she said, you know, there's a great program at the University of Texas at Austin. Why don't you go down and check it out? I was looking at that and I was, I also went to Philadelphia, uh, UPenn Architecture School, which I didn't get into, but I'm glad that I didn't go there because when I went there, it was freezing cold. It was middle of winter. Everyone was miserable, bundled up. I went down to Austin I had my first margaritas and fajitas and <laughs> winter you know, in Philadelphia in the sunshine and <laughs> you know it 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 was uh yeah uh, it was an easy I, choice I, I said this place is is for me and they, and they considered me sort of exotic coming from the northeast at that point uh they so they uh they really uh treated me well and uh, and and I had a really good graduate experience. And you never left. You're still there. I never left. And uh, I graduated in the time of a great recession that was going on uh, back in the early 90s. And uh, there were no architecture jobs. I weathered that. I got into some uh, development as we've mentioned in the previous episode. And uh, and then I got my, I got licensed actually rather late, you know, uh, in my early forties, I believe. And uh, uh, so I'm 56 now and I've been doing this, you know, architecture has really been my life for 20 or 30 plus years in one way or another and it keeps evolving and it really comes down to motivation um and let me just say one thing i mean getting all these great jobs designing all these beautiful homes professional accomplishments are great but if i really think about it the greatest joys in life come from things that are free, you know, feeling the sun beat down on your face or seeing the smile on a, a child's face uh, or, uh, you know, and, and so I like to look at everything in balance and some people are going to want to strive to get clients like this and some people aren't, that's just not their motivation and, and that's fine. And the great thing about architecture is that it's so broad and, and people can find their place where wherever that ends up being. And it doesn't have to remain that way. You know, people 
evolve over the course of their careers. I certainly have. And one of the turning points came about three years ago. Um, uh, so going through the recession of 2008 was rough. I, I had had success early on and then, you know, everything seemed to reset as they say around that point. And, uh, and so I began thinking about how I could really uh, pare my practice down to the bare minimum because frankly, I didn't have work. I had overhead, uh, I had an office and, uh, and a lot of big noisy computers and plotters and, and I was putting on a tie and a jacket and going to work every day. And I just said, this, this isn't why I got into this. So uh, I got into this really to do architecture at the highest level, to, to hone my craft, to work with people who I enjoy, uh, to mentor uh, younger architects to uh, work with clients who trust me, trust my vision, uh, my ability to deliver on their vision. Um, but about three years ago, I reached a point where I was taking on a lot of new projects, but I wasn't that thrilled about a lot of them. And uh, typically if I go back and I would really encourage people to do a gut check whenever they need a new potential client, there were indications very early on in the process that this was gonna have problems down, red, down red the Red flags. We've talked about red yeah. flags before. Yeah, it's it's uh, and it's a big big discussion we have often in the community on in Facebook community. about about red flags and and being uh, having the courage to pay attention to them because sometimes it's hard, right? Sometimes it's 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 tempting it's, yeah. or it's yeah. And so I was doing a lot of life coaching at the time, which I still do personal development. And I remember my coach said to me one time, would you be upset or frustrated if you walked into a hardware store and they didn't have a loaf of bread? <laughs> right. That's a good question. And I said, no, because, you know, hardware stores don't carry loaves of bread. And he's like, well, it's the same thing when you go to a client that doesn't share your idea of what architectural services are. You know, you're asking them for something that's just like out of their realm of, of even comprehending. So they're thinking, maybe they're thinking of architecture as strictly a service or a technical thing or one of my favorites is I just need a set of blueprints and I know exactly what I want. Right. You know, that's we've all heard that. Yeah, we've all heard it. And so rather than being frustrated with that, I decided that I would go to the bakery <laughs> and not the hardware store. Um, and this was right about the time that I lost three jobs to a local architect. It's a good architect, but was charging less than I was. And I felt like I was doing everything I could to demonstrate my value. But I also felt like there was some sense within myself that I didn't fully appreciate my own value. And that I didn't have, if I really thought about it, 
it. I didn't have anything to prove. I just needed to get aligned with uh, those clients who would who would value me and value architectural services and the ability to create their dream, make that a reality. So three three years ago, you're doing residential work, right? And some of it's yeah. really it's nice good, high end work, and nice. some of it some of it isn't. Uh, and you get frustrated with that, or, or it's sort of you know there's a light bulb moment in your life, and say, do I really need to do this other work? Should I just focus on the work I want to do? Exactly. And what I discovered, Mark, is void creates value. When I say no to something, it frees up not only bandwidth, but it, it frees my mind up where I'm not, I'm not focusing on the minutia of a project that I'm really not passionate about. Uh, and I can put that effort into landing projects that I am passionate about. So, uh, so I decided that, okay, if the projects aren't in Austin, all the, all the great potential projects are not within a 50 mile radius of me. They're located nationally, they're located internationally. If Richard Meyer or Frank Gehry or Zaha Hadid can design all over the world, why can't I? You know, yeah, there are some licensure issues and, you know, you've got to have a local architect in some cases. In many cases, for residential work, which is all I do, uh, it's not required. So, uh, I'm going for a very narrow uh, group of clients. I don't, I don't take on any projects where to design a home. I only design homes. I only design modern homes. And I don't take on any projects where the fee is less than six figures. And in fact, I have another rule, which I say $5,000 or it's free. I really, I, I either do something, offer value. I'm not gonna send somebody a bill for $500 or $1,000. It's like, there's, there's, if somebody wants my expertise, it's gotta be at least 5,000 or else I'll just give them free advice. Right. But, uh, you know, I get, I get a lot of offers to design spec homes, to collaborate on spec homes and things like that. And I've done it in the past. And somehow I don't find it as rewarding as really guiding and working with a client and understanding who they are and creating a home that is the child of the architect and the client. And it has a soul of its own. And that soul has to be honored. And uh, and lives on. So, I want to I want to make something yeah. clear to the people who are listening. Your work that you do is the highest of high end residential architecture. You're working with NFL athletes, famous musicians, and you've you've made a conscious decision that that's the market you want to work within. Um, and you've become successful in it because you've made a mental shift. And you focused on a specific ideal client, right? You just defined your ideal client by describing the people that you work with and the type of project that you work with. And not everybody wants to do that work. Not everybody has to do that work. But the lessons that you're teaching right now, the lessons that you're, you're sharing can be applied to any client, right? Any type of project, exactly. any type of client that you want to work with. And so the lesson that's important to take away is that when focused on his ideal client, which allowed him the freedom and the mindset and, and the opportunity to now focus all in on these clients and be able to achieve 
the success that he's looking to achieve with specific types of projects in order to do the types of projects he wants to do. Yes, and let me say that in the last year, whenever I get a call from a potential client, they've already heard of me. They already know exactly who I am. They already want to work with me. And I mean, literally like 90% of the time this has happened uh, in the last year. And it's because I got clear on the types of projects I do, the types of projects I don't do. And then going back to that mindset thing, and we'll kind of roll into, into the uh, Miles Garrett uh, client story. But when you're talking to famous people or wealthy people, it's easy to get a little nervous, a little intimidated, especially when they're six foot seven <laughs> and uh, can jump 64 inches vertically uh, from, from a standstill. Uh, in fact, we had to raise the ceiling in his gym uh, just for that. But it's easy to get a little intimidated. Uh, I tend to realize that, hey, these people still put on their pants one leg at a time. They're still human. I focus on the humanity. And uh, I don't know, at this point, it's, I feel like I'm an equal. And uh, I've seen a lot of things like, you know, in the architectural community, uh, like, oh, you don't want to show up in a nice car or something. People think you're too expensive. Well, I got to a point where I was able to show up in a nicer car than my rich clients were driving Yeah, and feel okay about that and feel like, yeah. And I, I think one of the realizations came to me about 10 years ago when one of my clients was bragging to somebody else that he had the most expensive architect in Austin. That was like bragging rights for him. People, it became, it became part yeah. of your brand. Yeah. And so architects a lot of times get intimidated about charging more but if you really go through it and you say well if it costs me x in terms of salaries and overhead to produce this and i'm charging 2x and then i decide to say charge 3x then that last third it's essentially pure profit. Now it isn't always that. And so you can do fewer jobs. Right. So I, I had to get very comfortable three years ago with people saying no and being okay with that. And now when I go into any negotiation with a potential client, sure, I want the job or I, after I've already determined that I want the job, but I'm also willing to let the job go. And I'm also willing to constantly evaluate throughout the course of the relationship, which usually is like a two year relationship at least, you know, is this working? And if it's not working, how can I gracefully exit and maybe refer them to somebody who's a better fit for them? Let's take a break to thank our sponsors for their support of this episode. Let's talk ArcViz technology. Powered by the near limitless Unreal Engine, our friends at Twinmotion offer a fast and easy way to produce stunning real-time visualizations and immersive experiences for your clients. Twinmotion gives you the tools you need to make faster decisions and relay information to your clients in a way that instantly speaks to them. Breathe life into your scene by changing the season, the weather, the time of day, just by moving a slider. Immersing your clients in a way that they'll love and more importantly, be able to truly picture themselves in. Why not share your design with stakeholders in collaborative reviews and edit your scene together? There's no better way to get buy-in 
than making your clients feel part of the development process. Right now, they're running an exclusive free trial. Check it out at twinmotion.link slash entrearchitect. That's twinmotion.link slash entrearchitect to get Twinmotion for free. BIM can be important for your next project, but it's not the only thing you need for your next project. That's why it's important that 95% of manufacturers who offer free BIM files on RCAT also offer another type of data or information that your project may need. That means 95% of the products with BIM also have CAD files, are in a specification, in a patented spec wizard, or may have product information to help you make the right selection. So stop going to a site with just BIM and go to rcat.com to get everything you need for your next project for free and without registering. No cost, no credit card, no email, it's free. That's rcat.com, A-R-C-A-T.com. When building a business you're passionate about, it's easy to feel like there aren't enough hours in the day. And if you're doing all the invoicing and accounting on your own, you're probably spending time on work you don't love. FreshBooks is built for business owners like us. It's the all-in-one accounting software that saves entrepreneurs and freelancers up to 11 hours a week. That's 11 hours that you could spend nailing a client pitch, designing your next project, or building your business as an architect. From preparing, sending, and following up on invoices, to tracking and managing expenses, to processing online payments, FreshBooks automates and simplifies all the tough and annoying parts of running your own business. So try FreshBooks for free for 30 days. No credit card required. Go to entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks and enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section and get more time back to build the business you love. That's entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. Was it difficult to get to the point to be comfortable with saying no? Or was it just a, a decision? I would say it was more of a process than a decision, but uh, I would say that my experience has been that it's been easier to say no when times are good. You know, it's it's not as easy to say no when uh, people aren't, you know, when the phone's not ringing. And so I created a system to get the phone ringing and uh, that, that could be a whole nother discussion uh, and largely a result of Facebook advertising, which worked then and actually is not working as well right now. Yeah, but, but that, that a, the Facebook yeah. advertising was based, was based on a brand that you built. Right, because right. that's because I've seen your advertising, and it's very specifically uh, built to attract the clients that you're looking to attract, and and it is you've decided you've built you've designed a brand of who Win Whitman is, the types of projects that Win Whitman designs, the cl- type of client that Win Whitman works with, right, and that's everything about you, your website, um, your advertising, your car, it all of it is part of that story about that brand. If you're working with Win Whitman, this is what you're gonna get, right? And anybody who exactly. doesn't want that or can't afford that, there are other architects for them. Right? Yes, and I, I've been turning down probably 70% of the inquiries I get at this point. And I lost my train of thought there, but, uh, and we'll go into the miles thing in a minute, but, um yeah i mean it it's it's part of a brand it's uh and that oh what i was going to say is that's not necessarily who win whitman the person is exactly exactly and it right. doesn't have to be right any more than uh one time i got to meet david bowie very briefly 
And he wasn't Ziggy Stardust. He wasn't, you know, he was (laughs) just like a guy, you know, and, but yet he, this is his brand and he was able to reinvent himself and create multiple avatars, shall we call them over the course of his career. So it's not disingenuous or inauthentic to have a brand that's bigger than you are or maybe a little i mean for a long time i struggled with the idea of like stepping into that role and how that would jive with who i was you know and there you know I definitely want to want my values and uh, my integrity to come through. Uh, I don't want there to be like a huge, there's not a huge disconnect between the Win Whitman brand and Win Whitman. Um, but, you know, there's Miles Garrett. The man is not miles garrett that you see on right, the gatorade right. bottle or the exactly you know it's a an icon or a it's a part of of who he is and yeah. so well, i mean athletes yeah. athletes famous athletes like miles mm-hmm. garrett who if for anybody who doesn't know miles garrett is a is a defensive end i think for the cleveland browns um famous football player right he's a star one of the top defensive players in the NFL and just a complete rock star. And, and many of those athletes have personal brands, right? That, that part of they, what they, they are, right. They play well. And then there's also a persona of who they are. And, and that generates more excitement about who they are. Um, And so that's a very similar thing that miles is doing that, that you're doing is that, uh, and that, architects in general should be doing. It's not necessarily a personal brand for all of us. Uh, in your case, Win Whitman, the architect, and Win Whitman, the person, you're using the same name, so some of them are you know, overlapping. But the lessons of branding is critical to architecture firms everywhere. Um, and the important thing is that the brand resonates with your ideal client. And in your case, when you've created a brand that resonates with clients like Miles, uh, who they want to work with you. So, so when can you walk us through this process? Not necessarily the process, but the can you go back to early earlier in your career, like you were talking about before, and sort of lead us through the steps that it took to get to the point where you are with working with clients like Miles? Yeah. It's definitely a process. And for me, it starts with maximizing the number of interactions that I'm having with that potential client. And so we'll just use Miles as an example. This is very typical. A lot of times I'll hear architects saying, well, somebody called me. I sent him a proposal. Crickets, you know. Uh, (laughs) Right. And like, this is some surprise. So the more interactions, particularly face-to-face, next preferable would be Zoom. Third would be phone call. Fourth would be email, text, that kind of thing. So uh, in this case, a realtor called me and He said that he had a client who was considering buying a property and uh, it was a a famous football player and he had, he had heard of my work and, you know, wondered if he should hire me. Do you know how, do you know how he heard about you? How, how online he he had searched online. So he did a Google search and found you. And so, so and it wasn't necessarily because he's not in uh, Austin. He's not in Austin, right? So, how? What was he searching for that he found you? Probably Austin architect, but he's building in Austin. 
Oh, so he's building in Austin. All right, so that makes sense. Yeah. So he so he did probably a Google search for Austin architects, mm-hmm. and he found and he and he found all the architects, and he found yours. He clicked on your website, saw your work, was excited about what you do, saw your brand, it resonated with him. He's like, oh, there's my man, right? That's the guy I want. And work. I won't say that I was the only architect he was considering. Yeah, and there's probably he others that are considering Saota who many people in a South African firm uh, that, you know, bigger and, and more famous than I am. So how did he, uh, so the real estate agent. So realtor called, I got a sense from the realtor what they wanted. And uh, I also thought of, about the realtor's motivation in, in this whole thing, which was to sell the property. Uh, and this is a realtor who I respect, who I like a lot, and who I want to help. Uh, now, I, I have run into the situation where a realtor has asked me to recommend a property to a client and i haven't been able to in good conscience rec- recommend that property um you know but in this case uh i thought it was a great property for what miles wanted to do and uh so i first got a sense of what he wanted from the realtor then I, I asked if we could set up a Zoom meeting because he was not local. And this was this was during COVID, uh, right at the, you know, well, it was over the summer, I guess. Um, they wanted to come down and see the property. Um, I suggested that they do that and we meet out there. And... Uh, uh, I put together what I call my roadmap, which in this case, it was really just taking their inspiration images of, uh, of what they said that they wanted and uh, analyzing them and showing them similar projects that I had done that were relevant to what they wanted to accomplish. So we had a good Zoom meeting. I set up uh, a time to actually meet with them in person. At that meeting, I talked a little bit about my fee. Uh, They didn't say anything about that at the time. How did you you present that? How did you sort of work that into the conversation? I just... I just kind of, I just kind of threw it in there. Like this, this is what we typically charge on a project like that. And why did you, why did you present that so early in the, in the conversation? Was that strategic to make sure that he was okay with that? It was, it was, uh, to anchor the fact that this was, you know, in the realm of what we would be charging. Um, And uh, I also asked him, are you considering any other architects? And they did mention another firm that was not local. And I honestly said, I I said, they're a great firm. Uh, They're not local. They're not even in the U.S. And logistically... Oh, and I said, and I live two miles down the road from this property and just left it at that. Yeah. So uh, we met, we had a good interaction. I mean, we were all masked up. It was, uh, we were outside. I mean, it was a little, it was not your typical typical interaction pre-COVID, but uh, after they left, I decided 
that I needed, well, first of all, I decided what they needed, which was to get a comfort level with this particular property. And to do that, I brought in a land planner. What I didn't want to do was get in a position where I was telling them to buy a property when I wasn't under contract. And then they find out that they can't do what they want to do. And so, uh, and then they potentially take some legal action against me because, you know, hey, you shouldn't have told me to buy the property. Right. So the way that I got around that is I had a contract uh, drawn up. Um, but I also just said to them, look, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you my honest, I'm really not comfortable with, uh, you know, putting together a formal report when we're not under contract yet, but I'm, I'm just going to give you my honest opinion of this. And I'm going to let this other professional, the land planner, tell, tell us specifically what we can do and what we can't do. It's going to be based on that. It's not, I'm not giving you a, a, you know, a professional opinion that you can take to the bank, so to speak. But they were in a position where they had to decide on this property or someone, someone else was very interested in it, was going to purchase it. So it was a quick exercise, but we did a few sketches and uh, we didn't get any money for that. You know, it was, it was nothing, it was very diagrammatic and it was really just kind of running through their program and looking at uh, impervious cover and making sure that they could fit what they wanted to fit, which is a fairly large program that included an indoor NBA sized basketball court and, you know, some, some large structures. So they, they purchased the property Around that time, I was playing tennis on, it's called the Sky Court. Uh, you can see it on my website. It's an elevated tennis court that's cantilevered out over Lake Travis in Austin. And, and uh, it's like 80 feet off the ground on one side. Uh, and I said, I'm just going to do a little iPhone video and just talk to them about why they should hire me. You know, convey that I wanted to work with them. I was excited about this project. It was something that was typical of what we do. I was located in a spot where I could help them, you know, where I knew all the rules and regulations and you know, and, and and could be with them throughout this entire process and be their advocate uh, throughout the process. Around this time, so I sent this video to them. They around this time they were also considering another property, and so I I drove out to that property and I did another little video, just saying, "Okay, the view's great here, but there's some highway noise over here, as you can see." And I really prefer the other property because it's more private. It's, it's more in line with what you're going for. So these, these little videos, little iPhone videos can be extremely good when a client is uh, not able to meet with you uh, in person. Um, and, and you can just demonstrate your who you are and, and a bit of your expertise in, in helping them solve their problems. So uh, I also came to find out that uh, there was another, basically the, uh, uh, his girlfriend's father was a structural engineer who was, 
advising them behind the scenes and, and who they respected a lot. Yeah. So it's very important to know who the, who the real decision makers are and who's kind of behind the scenes, maybe who are they relying on, um, especially if they're younger clients and they don't have a lot of experience in this area. Yeah. So, uh, so I was able to bring the dad into the conversation. Uh, but I'm going to say that there were six or seven or eight interactions before I ever really presented an offer on this. And it took, you know, eight or 12 weeks. There were probably 25 or 30 emails. Um, so sometimes it goes quicker than others, but it's usually a process of, of everybody getting comfortable. And, uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, I have another potential client. I'm out in LA right now, uh, working on a project out here. And I met a client in Austin who mentioned that he's bought a, a lot in West Hollywood and, uh, Hoggy Bellsberg is designing a, a house for him. I said, oh, that's amazing. I love his work. Uh, why don't we meet out there? I'll walk it, I'll walk the site with you. We'll I have a builder who might be perfect for that job uh, out in LA. And I know I'm not getting that job, but it's building trust right. with somebody that is serious about doing something, wants to do something good, has the wherewithal to, to do it. So, uh, that I digress, but it's, it really comes down to being willing to invest the time upfront in building the relationship with the potential yeah. client. And that's the key when, as, as you're telling that story, the two things that came to mind was that that time that you were taking uh, was commensurate with the size of the project and the scope of the project and the amount of money they're going to spend, right? So when somebody's going to spend that much money and do a project that's going to take that long, very often the process to get there is going to take longer, right? It's going to be a little bit more complicated. Um, and so that the time process takes a little bit longer. But what you're doing in that process, during that process, is building a relationship. Right. And that's something that we're all should be doing during this process of of trying to uh, earn a project is that you're building a relationship. Sometimes that relationship is in one meeting and sometimes that relationship is in, you know, seven meetings and, you know, 25 emails uh, over multiple times with videos and all of the things that you did. Um, but you're building a relationship with them. Right. And through building a relationship, every time you meet with them. Every time you speak with them, every time you connect with them and show your expertise, you are earning their trust. And that's ultimately what you need, right? You need their trust in order for them to say, you're the one that's going to design my house. Yeah. And I had a, I had a very frustrating experience one time uh, where... I brought on a collaborator who basically tried to hijack my project and undermine me with the client. And, and I was talking to a very successful entrepreneur about this. And he, and he said, when you're the guy, you're the guy they hired, not, not the other guy. So it was really and I, it, like a light bulb went off in my head and I just said, I want to be the guy. I want to be the guy they hire. And it doesn't mean that there aren't, I mean, there are amazing people that I work with. And as the fees have gotten better, I've been able to bring on more and more talented people. And I love 
I love sharing the limelight with them and, 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 you know, making it, you know, looking at their motivations too and what they want from, from the whole, uh, process and interaction. And, uh, a lot of times it's, you know, it's mastery. It's, it's, uh, appreciation. It's legacy, uh, in addition to, uh, money. And, you know, that's, that's why I do it too. That, that project's finished now, right? It's built. Miles, 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 or, miles no, project. no, Where, no. What's the still, status of that project now? I mean, I just started designing it. You know, right, so you're very early on the process. Six months ago, maybe. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of through schematics and we're in builder selection and consultant selection and, and things like that. And, uh, another thing that I started doing is really upping the level of consultants that I'm working with. Um, because I've found that, I mean, there's, there's tremendous, uh, variation in the response time and the detail attention to detail and things like that that ultimately reflect back on my firm uh, and timeline so uh i don't know it's uh It's an evolving process, and uh, how many you know. how many projects have you do you do at a time? Are you focused on one project at a time, or are you doing multiple projects? No, I'm doing like uh, ten or twelve multi million dollar homes at any given time. And how big is your team? My team is five people, and you and they're all over the country. They're all over the world. All over, all the, over the, world. the country and all yep. over the world. Yep. And it's and to get those projects, you're basically going through the same process you just described with Miles. Absolutely. Getting the phone to ring, getting those phone calls to be your ideal client, uh, then building a relationship, earning their trust, uh, executing at a very high level, you know, uh, managing their expectations, uh, doing all the things you need to do, and and everything you described for your high end projects are the same things that. You know, a client, you know, an architect designing mm -hmm. affordable additions to, you know, homes in suburbia, it's the same process, right? You still have to do the same thing. You have to get the phone to ring. You need to resonate with that client that's on the other end of that phone. Uh, and you have to build their, their trust through relationships uh, and then execute at a very high level. And then you'll get more of those projects. Uh, and if those are not the projects that you're looking for, that that's not if you want to do more projects like Win, you need to create that brand and resonate with that client, uh, and that takes time and effort, and incrementally you, you get there. Um, it's something that that many of us can do. Uh, it is, and I certain you know, I'm fortunate. It's it's working. Uh, it's taken many years to get there, and it's it's a continual practice. What's what's one thing a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Build trust, whether it's with potential clients, whether it's with collaborators, whether it's with realtors, and really value your time. Uh, I'm not suggesting that, you know, people go out and trust your gut. That's another thing. Um, know when something is a good fit for you and when it's not, and be willing to say no. Something better will come along. Yeah, yeah. Create the void so you have a place for that good work to come through. Win Whitman is his name. WinWhitman.com is the website. We'll have a link to that on the show notes. You can go to the show notes for this and just click that link and it'll take you right there. It'll show you everything that Wynn is doing. Um, and you can see the work that he's doing. Beautiful work. 
Uh, you can follow him on Facebook. He's over there on Facebook. He's an active member in the Entree Architect community, so if you want to reach out to him there, uh, do that. Join. If you're an architect, you can join the community, entrearchitect.com slash group to join that. Uh, Wynn, thank you for all you do. Thank you for sharing your knowledge throughout the profession. Always uh, very generous with, with the way you do things and sharing what you do and how you do it. Uh, I appreciate you for that, and I appreciate you for coming by here today and sharing your knowledge at Entree Architect Podcast. My pleasure, Mark. I really appreciate what you do for the architectural community. I think it's the single uh, best professional community out there. Thank you, I appreciate that. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, and share a link to this episode with a friend. That's how you can help grow Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you to our sponsors, FreshBooks, RCAT, and Twinmotion for their support of this episode. Links to all our sponsors and all our resources that we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. That's you. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-Media.com. Go there now. And check out Entree Architect Academy membership. Ready to edit business resources for architects, live monthly business training for architects, a supportive architect community, and simple systems. Our new business system program developed for you, the small firm entrepreneur architect. It's all waiting for you right now at Entree Architect Academy membership, including... AIA Continuing Education Learning Units. Yep, they are there, they are too. Entree Architect is there for you. Come join me and hundreds of your entrepreneur architect friends. Visit entrearchitect.com slash join to enroll today. Thanks for listening today. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, 
Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.